0: And so I recognize that this is a Labor Day weekend and uh, perhaps worthy of a reflection on uh, labor. So uh, it should be, I think, of no surprise uh, that Judaism has a lot to say about how we do work and how we work for a living. Um, The word for slavery and the word for employment or work in Hebrew is essentially the same word. And uh, it's also interesting to note that in Hebrew that there is a unique distinction to be found in different kinds of work, most notably in what they're called. Regular work, work that people do is called avodah, and of course the word for a slave is eved in Hebrew, which is I think therein a warning, very, very carefully cast, that people who work can easily become enslaved Uh, But it's also interesting to note that in Hebrew that there is a distinctiveness found as well in different kinds of work. For example, there is an exclusive Hebrew word less used in modern Hebrew but profoundly utilized in rabbinic Hebrew for creative work. In other words, the kind of work that people do that expresses something beyond what they can bill or sell or market. This idea, of course, of how we work and how we go about doing what we work is not a small thing at all. Consider this, that the very first mitzvah, the first commandment to be listed in the Torah after the Ten Commandments is about slavery, which on a theological level shouldn't be surprising at all to us because the Ten Commandments, above all else, first and foremost, is the proposition that there can be no true slavery except to God, that we enslave ourselves to God. And why do we enslave ourselves to God a priori in the context of the Ten Commandments? Because enslavement to God is not like enslavement to other things. But before I get to explaining that, we at least have to agree on one other thing. And that in this world and in this life, We will all be enslaved to something. That's the assumption. And what humans need to decide is what you will be enslaved to. Most people, by default, through no choice of their own, are enslaved to the most baseless things, to the things that they're marketed on, the things that they believe will transform them in how they look in other people's eyes. But the outstanding argument that Judaism makes over and over again is that you do have a choice in what you're enslaved to. You don't have to be someone who follows the flock and crowd. That if, in fact, there are choices to be made in what you will enslave yourself to, choose the better of all of them. And why is God the better of all enslavements? Because when you chase the marketing schemes, the things that are sold, that you're told to buy, you're serving someone or something that profits off of what you do and what you make and what you buy. When you go and buy something made of Nike or some other brand label and you feel that you fulfilled something better in yourself by buying a label, you're making them rich and you're making yourself poorer because you're paying a premium for their name. But the thing is, when you're enslaved to God, because God, in the Kantian sense, God is God, and so God is God, and so God needs nothing from you, what God demands of us is that we only do the better for ourselves. That was the inherent revelation of the Exodus itself, of the Jews being taken out of Egypt was the realization that you can do nothing for God. There is nothing that you could do to satisfy God. So when God asks us to do something, it is actually only for the betterment of who we are. And so if you're gonna be enslaved to something, the Torah then goes after the Ten Commandments, is the warning about slavery. But let's understand this. Let's let's think about different kinds of work. Of course, in the ancient world, people worked all the time. The only people who didn't work were poor people. And today, of course, all kinds of people work all the time. So let's think about different kinds of work. There was a fascinating work written by a researcher at Harvard years ago. It was a book by, by Joanne Chula. It was called The Working Life. And this is the case study that she opens her book with. Post-World War II in southern Austria, there's a town there that has a nationalized rubber factory. What does that mean, a nationalized rubber factory? It wasn't a private industry. It was owned by the government. And everybody in the town, more or less, worked for the rubber factory. And if you didn't work for the rubber factory, you were a spin-off industry that benefited from the rubber factory. Lots of examples of factory towns to be found, not only in Europe and America, but certainly in Canada too. Anyways, after the Second World War um, and the Marshall Plan was put into place, the rubber factory was shuttered. It wasn't turning a profit. In fact, it needed a massive uh, investment into its uh, infrastructure. They weren't going to do it. So effectively, an entire town was put out of work. So in steps the Austrian government, and what do they do? They put everyone on a pension to what they had made. In other words, their transfer or their movement from employment to retirement had no degradation, no reduction in what they were earning. What do you think happened in the town to this beautiful, idyllic, Idyllic, (laughs) pastoral, pastoral, Austrian town. It exploded in incidents of drunkenness, spousal abuse, child abuse, and children not going to school to the point where the hospitals couldn't accommodate all the people who were showing up for treatment for falls, bruises, and wounds. And Joanne Trul at this point makes the point that work clearly is not something which we use to pay bills. Working has a deeper need inside of ourselves. The deeper need to be found inside of ourselves when it comes to work is probably better understood, as I referenced to you earlier, about this unique word to be found in Judaism for not simply work, but creative activity. It's called And in fact, on Shabbat, we are prohibited from engaging in items and activities that specifically are creative activity. Because for six days, we are told that is what God did. And on the seventh day, we too stop as a way of emulating, in fact, of being enslaved, so to speak, to the patterns and behaviors and cycles that God itself undertook. That in the sense of ceasing from creation, we engage in recreation, which ultimately is an act of recreation. But the greater human calling to work and meaningful work in our lives is not to be found, I'll give you an example. If someone said to you, they just, got, they just became a lawyer, and they're saying, I'm going to Seattle to, become, to be a lawyer. I got a job there. You'd say, okay, very nice. Go, go to your job. In other words, the person is so identified with their job that they would go to wherever it is that they could do their job. When people get transferred, well, listen, I'm a a this, I'm a that, that's where I have to go do my job. And therein lies the danger. You should work and we all need to work. As I get older in life, I realize how important and critical it is for a person to wake up in the morning and realize that they can do things that make a difference in this world, that we're productive and our actions, in fact, make people's lives better. But the danger in our work is never to be enslaved. And in this little Talmudic story, which you can flip many times over into lots of different conclusions, goes like this. There was a great Talmudic scholar who's known as Choni Magal, Choni the circle maker. And he's walking through a field one day and he sees an old man planting a tree. And he turns to the man and says, You know, old man, you're never going to live long enough to enjoy the fruit or the shade of this tree. You're wasting your time. And the the man turns up to the rabbi and says, "Ah, But rabbi, you know, the world is filled with people who have planted trees, who've never lived long enough to enjoy its fruit or its shade. And famously, the man answers the rabbi and says, I am planting this for those who come after me. Afterwards, the story continues, and Choni, the rabbi, wants to find the man to go talk to him again. And the text tells us that he can't be found. He's not there anymore, which is to say he didn't devote his entire life to planting trees, but the message of devoting ourselves to things that leave the things better for those who come after us is the great call of work that we all have in our hands. Shabbat shalom.